tell me about podcasts. What is a podcast? A, a podcast is it started with the original like iPods and Apple okay. pretty much started it. But it was a and it was a way for them to publish like radio shows without having a radio station and broadcasting. So it's a recorded conversation and they're about anything, just like a radio show could be. But then you can download them to your phone or your tablet or your iPad or, or whatever and listen to them anywhere. And, and do they just mostly come out in like on like YouTube or is it? Well, a lot of times they'll put them out on YouTube, but then there's like iTunes or Spotify or a couple okay. other apps that handle that aggregation of things. Because, yeah, a lot of that, <laughs> I'm just old enough, I don't understand <laughs> right, that, right. some of that stuff. Uh, and I know, I mean, it wasn't too many years ago I discovered YouTube, and, I mean, that's a great resource for oh, yeah. looking yeah. a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, On YouTube, a lot of people publish their podcasts to YouTube, and a lot of the, I don't know the percentage of traffic, but most, or a chunk of YouTube traffic is never actually watched. It's just listened to on a second monitor on a phone sitting to the side where people are just listening to what's being talked about. Even if it's a totally visual thing, podcasts have really surged as a um, kind of a secondary entertainment thing. People just put them on and if they don't catch everything, it's not a huge deal. They can go back and listen to it, but it's just kind of white noise that fits the interest that they're, something that they're interested in, but it's not sit down and watch a movie. I, I do it if you're watching a movie or a TV show. If there's an ad break, I pull out my phone and I, I see what's going on with my friends. And I, I don't watch the ad. And it's kind of the same thing with, with podcasts and YouTube videos. Welcome to the Muzzle Blast podcast from the National Muzzleloading Rifle Association. Muzzle Blast is made possible by the membership of the NMLRA. Thank you. I'm Anita Vincenti. I'm with GoX Powder Incorporated, and we're the only black powder manufacturer left in North America. Um, my job title is logistics manager, but I do a, a great deal of, of sales, um, which I love because I have the opportunity to uh, pick up the phone and talk to this gentleman. Um, and, and I'm here. This is my first trip. I, uh, typically, uh, um, two gentlemen who did, I believe, compete as well. They would uh, come from corporate and, and shoot, but I'm, I'm here to see where this is going and how we can help, really and truly. Um, you know, I came into the business in 1991, and, um, you know, I, I have, I've, I've seen it, you know, decline in our sales, and, and of course, I think they parallel. Yeah. Um, parallel the, the decline in, in membership here and, and decline in dealers and, and so forth. But with all that seemingly negative, there, you know, there's certainly enough. We just, we were just discussing, there are enough tools, there's enough knowledge, there's enough drive to, uh, I think, you know, bring it back and, and make it better. Um, my philosophy for work and, and life is the old golf adage, you know, make it better than you found it. Uh, yeah. My name is Jim Christie. I'm the owner of Deer Creek Products. Uh, I started coming down here in the 90s when I worked for Erwin Fagel at Deer Creek Products. He started coming down here in the 70s. And uh, I've always seen it from a vendor side of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, never really shot back down here much, but uh, 
it's just really a neat place steeped in history. And uh, uh, the people down here are some of the nicest people in the world. And it's one of them things that is being lost. It's a, it's a lost art and a lost hobby that needs to be brought back. So even as things have declined and they're not what they once was, we want to continue to help the, the sport come back around, you know. And, uh, yeah, the art of black powder shooting. It, 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 you know, I know I mentioned yesterday I would certainly forget a step. It, it's just, there's so much about it that is impressive. Um, and, and, you know, even on, on the manufacturing side, what really drew me into this was, uh, you know, my, my no-no, my, my uh, grandfather, my, my paternal grandfather, he was a coal miner. And I remember visiting my Nona and Nono, and they, you could go out on their front porch and hear at least six different languages. And, you know, they not necessarily, they didn't always get along. Uh, they didn't necessarily really, you know, like one another, but they respected one another. And because they had to, they worked in the mines together and their lives depended on the guy next to them. And um, black powder was tied into the, uh, you know, among other th industries, was, was tied into coal mining. And that always struck me is, was, you know, that they, they were their brother's keeper. Mm -hmm. And that is a part of manufacturing black powder. It forces us to be better every day we live out those those words and we are a brother's keeper so that's that's that drew me in and 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 the history also as well um, that's my major um, and that's it, awesome. it, so it it drew me in and kept me in this business and then you have the camaraderie you know I just came over from um, using the facilities, if I may. And there was a, a lady who walked in, put her purse on the bench. What public venue can you do that? Yeah. You know, and only at, at black powder events that I've been at can you do that. You can just walk away. There's a trust. There's a friendship um, and a kinship that is like none other. And that's pretty special. And if, some, if somebody heaven forbid, would pick up her purse, there would be three other people there to stop them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, here, once again, like you said, no like no place on earth does anybody watch out for each other as well as they do mm -hmm. at a black powder event or a rendezvous. I mean, they, uh, they really respect and try to take care of each other, even when sometimes they don't like each other. Right, yeah, if you're, sh you're shooting next to the guy next, you know, the guy next to you, but, and, you could be tied and you're still, you know, razzing each other about it. Yeah. But it's all in good fun. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, and that's, you know, across our, our vendor base too, or our supplier base too, whether it be in the black powder, fireworks. Yeah. There's also, there's, um, you know, I know, I don't think, well, I know there hasn't been a time that I've been on the phone with Jim that he hasn't said, any, you know, whatever I can do, just let me know, you know, just let me know how I can help. If you need any help, let me know. Every single phone call, and we've had those many. Yeah. <laughs> Every single phone call, he has said that. And also among our, our customer base is, 
I've met rocket scientists. I mean, you know, this gentleman, photographic memory. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just, it's incredible, the skill set, the intellect. Um, and it's just, it's a variety and it's, it's fascinating. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, so you have a photographic memory? No. Uh, I think he does. <laughs> no. I'm not going to let you gloss over that. I, I forget everything. People are amazed with what I remember. I, uh, I actually forget a lot. I cannot remember names for nothing, but parts and part numbers, yeah. you know, that's what I do. That's what I'm excited about. So I remember that stuff and people, <laughs> but, but on, like I say, on names and stuff, I cannot, I can talk to somebody and walk away and not remember their name a lot of times, but <laughs> there's, there's just a lot of information that does stick with me. Right. So is that mainly what you do at Deer Creek? Is it muzzleloading part supplies or? Oh, uh, we do, do we do black powders, accessories, uh, uh, muzzleloading parts. I mean, uh, my predecessor bought up parts uh, from CVA and Traditions and we still, anytime they discontinue anything, they sell all their parts to us. Erwin okay. uh, actually had went to Spain and, or Italy and bought out when ASM, which is a revolver manufacturing company, 90% or 70% of the black powder revolvers out there are an ASM. Hmm. CVA sold them for years. They're, they actually, ASM has produced more reproductions than were ever originally made. But when they were going out of business, they actually called him and he went to Italy and bought up all the parts. So we supply a lot of parts and stuff, but we also manufacture. And uh, uh, in, the, in the 90s, he was, at one point, he was making 100 muzzle loader rifles a week. Jeez. Uh, selling to Cabela's and those places. Now the side lock muzzle loader market isn't there. At that time, they were all buying them for hunting guns right. and that stuff. Now everything has went to inline for hunting. And so that market's not there, but we're still making some, you know, I mean, it's a much smaller market, but it's still a good market. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and one of the problems I have is finding people interested enough for employees mm -hmm. because it's not a business you're going to get rich in. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, but once in a while you do find that right employee that, is amazed by the history and excitement about it. And and likewise, it's hard for me when I get a new employee that is just there for the paycheck. And, you know, we're a small operation, so we can't pay what some of the larger places are. But you get a certain amount of employees that are just there for the paycheck. They do not care about the history. They don't get excited about it. And that's hard for me to understand because... Um, it's so cool. It, it, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but there's so much out there today yeah. that um, when I started getting into it as at a young age into hunting and shooting, and I mean, that was the most exciting thing you can could do. You know, uh, you were watching on a small TV if you watch TV, and so there was nothing exciting about that. Wish there wasn't. <laughs> well, it isn't to me, yeah. but there is so yeah. much more now for the younger people to to do to do. Yeah. You know, and and just like the school events and stuff, there are so much going on. Yeah. I mean, used to if you played sports in school, you had your little season and it was over. Yeah. 
now some of these play sports year round. I mean, they've got softball leagues and baseball leagues and, and, and basketball leagues that go year round now. So these kids have got so many other things that are drawing them away from us. I had a conversation with um, some members about your age, and they talked about how their kids that have kids now, it used to be where the family did what the parents wanted to do. And, but now when the kids want to do things in school, like sports or dance or, or whatever they're doing, the parents do that, invest in that side of things to you know, try to get that step ahead when it comes to college or work or higher education, you know, however that works. And I really thought that was representative of modern, you know, the modern soccer mom trope is you're running yeah. around mm -hmm. making sure your kid has every opportunity and that doesn't always line up with what you want to do. I'm not a parent, so I, I can't say, but. <laughs> yeah, and, that's and, absolutely true. and because of that, a lot of what the parents done is lost. Yeah. You know, I mean, their, what their interest was doesn't get passed down. Right. It, gets, it gets kind of put on the back burner until the kids are out of the house. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's what you find in this industry. A lot of times you'll find, sometimes you'll find young kids getting into it, but a lot of times they will come back. You know, mm -hmm. I've got guys my age that'll call and talk and want to buy a muzzleloader for the first time because they knew their grandpa done it. Yeah. They had never done it before, but their grandpa used to do it. And now they're, they're past all the school age stuff. They're past all the, you know, they're now into their 20th year of work or they're been 15 at the same job. So they're stable enough. They've got a little extra money. They want to get back into it. And that's where as an industry, we have to make it easier for them to get back into it because yeah. they, in a lot of cases, uh, you get on the internet and start looking, uh, muzzle loading looks complicated. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's the easiest thing in the world, <laughs> but uh, they can go out with a 22 rifle and pop some shells in there and be shooting. They don't have to carry a bag full of tools yeah. <laughs> to be so able to do the sport. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, so from the outside looking in, it looks very complicated. So we have to find ways to educate people on, on how to get into the sport and how to use the sport. And, and, you know, that's part of the thing I do. I sell a lot of lower cost muzzleloaders because I know if you don't get them shooting somehow, you're never going to keep them in the industry. So yeah. you've got to get them started. Then the higher dollar guns will sell. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. um, We've become a, 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 an area that there are a lot of great artisans and a lot of great builders, but they're selling $2,500 guns, yeah. which is supplying the older gentleman that now is retired and has money. Everything's paid for. He can buy that gun he wanted his whole life. But if we don't start getting people in young, down the line, that won't be that class of people that can support the, the higher end of the yeah. industry. That's something like with my grandfather, I always saw is everybody always said that he didn't charge enough for his pistols. And, but it, it just got to the point where he wanted to do it just to do it and make sure that, and I mean, for years, even after he stopped making them, he would always bring down his bin of parts, the common parts that wore out, or maybe they were, you know, people would call him up and he'd always bring those parts and he'd sit down at his camper down here with a little table and a little mat and fix people's match pistols and that's what I think is really neat about muzzleloading is in a way it's it's preserving its own history I think and 
you get into talking about like the processes and inlines are controversial when it comes to like traditional muzzleloading because it's not a, like you say it's not a side lock or it's not a wood stock or it's not the long the traditional long rifle but once people start playing with that process of just loading the powder patch and ball and then put the cap on it and then you, you give that person you know a couple seasons hunting with that and then you put a flintlock in their hands and it's just they're sold. And they'll never go back to the... No. You know. And not to discredit the inlines. The inlines <laughs> totally have their place. But you, we, as muzzleloaders and black powder side of things, like that's just kind of the entry to it. Absolutely. And, and, that's the gateway. Yeah. And like you say, when you come from shooting a twenty-two, it's real simple. The muzzleloading is complex. But then you get into like the slug gun and the black powder cartridge, where it gets even more complicated. And you're... you're making sure that you're loading each bullet right and swedging it in the barrel and I'm talking to guys on the slug line like that's what they want like they're former mechanical engineers or aerospace scientists and things and they love that process of going through each of those steps and yeah. I, th I think it's just kind of a natural progression it, it, for yeah it. it's all, yeah almost graduating to the next yeah to the next level yeah you can you start shooting you know 25 yard targets or 25 yard silhouettes and then you, you see the guys plinking at 500 yards with, with bullet guns you're like Ooh, that looks yeah. like fun That's very and used to, you would see guys with side locks who would progress into an inline, you know. Right. And now we're having to go backwards. We're having to take, take uh, inline guys and teach them about side locks. Yeah. And there's just enough differences that sometimes it's hard. Yeah. So a guy's got his inline and it, he drops two pellet powder, powder yeah. pellets in there and shoves a, a thing in there and drops him a 209 primer on and it goes off every time and he's interested and he decides he wants to try a side lock well it's a whole different mm -hmm. ball game so now yeah. the thing doesn't go off he can't just take his thumb and take his breech plug out to fix it yeah. so you know that's one of the things as a as an industry we need to, to focus on is teaching these people how to do some of this stuff because uh, and, and as a club we need to uh, do better with education so that we can teach these newcomers how to enjoy the sport, you know, yeah. because if you don't have nothing but trouble, you don't want to do it. It's not very enjoyable. Yeah, it's not no. fun. No, they don't have to do it for a living. This is a hobby. This yeah. is how you relax. And and I, I get people in the shop all the time that, uh, you know, somebody will bring a friend with them and and I'll say, you know, do you shoot muzzleloaders? And they say, no, it's an awful lot of trouble. Yeah. Because they just don't understand the process. And it's quite a complicated process if nobody has taught you. Right. You know, yeah. once you know it, it's not, to me, it's, it's just part of the, and yeah. it's no problem at all. <laughs> but, you know, from somebody on the outside looking in, it looks complicated. Yeah. I, I posted uh, some pictures of the flint bench guns on the line. Just because they're fascinating. I mean, it's yeah. just a massively scaled up long rifle with this huge stock and grip, and the, the barrel and the stock is coming out, you know, it's like the size of a softball. And it's just so alien looking. And yeah. It just, a lot of people online that were commenting and, and talking about it had never seen anything like it because it was so bizarre. And there's so many, you can look at the, at the inlines and the match guns, and I was on the, the trap range earlier this week, and the guys were talking about this space gun that somebody's building that's, you know, it's all metal, and then there's just a little wood cheek piece, but it's not built like a normal shotgun at all. 
and, but you can get into those weird areas, but it's still two, three hundred year old ignition technology. And there's, there's room to play in that and make it exciting and weird. Like, um, not to talk too much about my personal family history, but the X-ring pistols were mm -hmm. something my, my father and grandfather developed. And it was based on some of the free pistol, uh, match pistols, where the, you, the grip, you pretty much be, it hooks in with your arm. And the way you hold it, it locks in with your arm. And it's so bizarre when you look at that on the line compared to a traditional flintlock. But they're the same, they're the same thing. Yeah, same technology, same principle. Um, and that's, we were talking about that in the booth earlier, that how many, the firearms industry as a whole, how many improvements and how much technology has come out because oh of the firearms technology. You, you look at some of the original flintlocks and they had nothing to work with. And, and even down to powder manufacturing, not to get really specific, but you were, you had nothing. You know, we're, we're walking, we're going back to our air-conditioned trailers or cabins, you know, at the end of the day after shooting. And these guys were making these complicated mechanisms with a forge and a hammer and an anvil and some files. Yeah. And making it work and figuring all this stuff out in, in the woods. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, now they consider building a rifle. A lot of times people say, well, I built my rifle. They bought a kit from Traditions and right. put it together. It took a little sanding and fitting, but they put together. Where those guys were doing it with a chunk of metal and a tree. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's really fascinating. Mm -hmm. And it's a fascinating part of it that really gets glazed over a lot. And people do not understand the skill set that it took to do that. Yeah. Uh, when, when the modern manufacturers can produce thousands of guns a year, you know, these guys were doing two, maybe, yeah. if they were a good builder. <laughs> yeah, and, and it would, you know, it, it would be easy to kind of get lost because you're looking at that, that you know, that scale of what they're producing. You can just kind of get numb to it and right. not realize, you know, that that started with, with as you said, you know, a tree and, and uh, you know, and a forge. So, yeah, it's... There, there's a lot out there that you know we need to kind of nudge people and say, hey, you know, you may not. I'm, I'm just sitting at this table. What I'm learning from from both <laughs> of you, uh, it, it really is remarkable. And there's a lot of history that they glass over. You know, they don't realize that most of the gun manufacturers started out someplace else. Ivory Johnson was a bicycle maker. Remington and some of those that were typewriter makers. And then, um, well, like we talked about, Eli Whitney yep. had the, uh, you know, they talked about him inventing the cotton gin. But his biggest contribute contribution was all the firearms he made because he was pretty much the father of mass production. And right. so, you know, uh, the early wars would have been a whole different yeah. ball yeah. game <laughs> if he hadn't uh, took his technology set and put it into the gun industry. I mean, the... The firearms really shaped the world. It's, it's kind of like an early space race. You know, Absolutely. Think about it. Yeah. And I think it's exciting to think, of, or not necessarily exciting, but knowing the history behind it, you know, it's not necessarily all war and bloody, you know, it's, it's a lot of food and clothing and protection. And I think that's what's really exciting about being involved in the living history side of things. It's, it's, it's not at all the glorification of any violence. You know, it's often 
people are reading those journals by the people that were there and how hard it was and how difficult it was and like air conditioning you know we're sitting in air conditioning it's it's great you know and these guys knew that struggle and these people understood you know doing this doing all of this was uh, was moving forward it's neat being involved in an industry or in a sport that recognizes that and i think you know you talk to anybody on the line no matter what they're shooting if it's traditional or if it's a modern you know match it's at least that's what I've seen is it's, it's a respect for that history and that involvement yep. of things yep. being connected to the past. Got a little heavy there. <laughs> <laughs> no, you fine. And that's it. it. It's a, it, the firearms is what was a preservation of life. Not, you know, now people look at it and, and even the, the, the modern media and stuff, they demonize it. They talk about how many people, how many deaths and stuff. But in the early years, that's what preserved life. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's you depending on that for your food. Yeah. yeah. Even in the in the Great Depression, I mean, that's a big thing in muzzleloading. Muzzleloading became huge during the Depression, like meat shoots and food shoots, where the prizes were food. People would come in and contribute these things because it was something that was affordable and simple that they could do with next to nothing. Um, my, one of my grandfathers talked about his father made their first ramrod out of a golf club with a piece of glass, scraping it mm -hmm. down. Because that's what they could, could do. I mean, you, had a, you, had, you, know, you were approaching modern firearms production during that time, but you couldn't really, your common person couldn't really afford it. And at that time, a lot of those older firearms were still around, and still, you were still able to hunt and feed your family with them. I mean, that's, that's just two or three generations back where these were a sustaining life. You couldn't just go to the internet and push a button and have it there the next day. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you had to find a way to make it. Yeah. And that's what uh, pushed so much uh, innovation in things, you know, I mean, uh, because they had to think of what we can do with nothing. Yeah. And, and, and it was a necessity, not just for fun. They had to have a firearm. They had to build something that they could feed their family. Yeah. It's, it's exciting. It's, it's, it's very fascinating. And built to last. Not, yeah. Not throw yeah. away. Which, you know, I, I look in, around the, the house and basically I think the only thing that weighs the same now as it did 50 years ago uh, is the you know, KitchenAid mixer. Yeah. <laughs> Everything else. If it's still there, not tossed and replaced, but that's a, you know, and I, I think that that helps. That you know, built to last is what brings us. You know, it it, it keeps us on that steady line to to always remember the history because yeah. you're looking at it. Yeah. You know, you're holding it. You're you're uh, enjoying it. I mean, there are there are in private collections and public collections and museums and things. There are, there are bags and rifles and, and accoutrements that have been around for 250, 300 years. Yeah. And uh, I was talking with somebody earlier today about how great all the, all, and how interesting all this, all this craft is because it's all natural materials. You know, and you know, that's a huge problem right now with landfills and things, but so much of what, we're, what we do in the, in the theme of muzzleloading it is in 200 years, if it's not together, it's gone. It doesn't, leave an impact mm -hmm. at, at I've always all. been green. Yeah, it's always been green. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and black powder lasts. There's no shelf life. Right. Yeah. It, a lot of the guns and stuff that were 
being made in the 50s and stuff, they didn't have the parts ability that we do now. So they would recycle any firearm and use it on something else. Talking to um, the Tippecanoe County Historical Association up in Lafayette, they have a Fort Wyatnon was there in Mm -hmm. early American Mm -hmm. history. And they, talking to museum coordinators there, they found a smithy in a blacksmith shop. And they said there were two piles there that were left. And one of them was tools. The assumption is that they had to move camp quickly and things got left behind. One of them was like tools and things in process. And the other was their resource pile. And in that pile, there were broken trigger guards, busted locks, chunks of barrel, butt plates, and all this stuff that had been and there, you can look at those pieces, and they were cold chiseled or hot chiseled apart when they needed something. There was a, yes. a piece of a lock that had been cut off to use that piece for something else because it already had a hole punched in it, and they needed the hole somewhere else. And so they just split that off and reused it. And, and it, it's, it's not at all what we think about, you know, manufacturing or corporations, at, at, especially at this time. It was using what you had, and you had Absolutely. to use it because that's all you have. Absolutely. You can do. Yeah. And like you talked about, they'd cut a piece off because it had a hole in it. Because they were drilling time. that with a yeah. with a hand crank or drifting it in with a with a hot punch. With a hot punch rather than going to the phone and ordering it up. <laughs> ordering it up from some you know company. And yeah. so and that's a the fascinating part about a lot of the original guns. I love original guns because you can see a lot of times where they took a part off of something else and you know it might not have necessarily fit with the aesthetics of the gun but they needed it but they needed it yeah (laughs) little stories like that just make me wonder you know like what what happened and what what were you using these parts for because it's like you say it's you can't it's built to last and it's not going to go anywhere i mean there's there are pieces in collections and museums that you know, if you soaked them in some WD-40 and cleaned it all with a wire brush, it'd they still, still work. be used. You know, you could still slap that on the side of a flintlock and go. And unfortunately, in manufacturing today, we're just not getting that furniture. You know, used to furniture would move from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. Now it is particle board furniture. And, yeah. And if it lasts a couple of years, great. That's a then they line. then they put it in the landfill. You know, yeah. uh, cars even. You know, you look at the the cars from. Uh, the uh, 30s and 40s that are still around, the cars they're making today are not going to be here 10 years from now, let alone 50 years from now. Uh, There's not really a whole lot of, of plastic waste, and especially not not to go not to talk about modern, but even there, you know, yeah. there's still a lot less than other hobbies that you might find out there. You know? Yeah, and and that's the thing we've got to teach is how we can preserve this and how we can reuse parts and and utilize what you have rather than just the excess we've got today where you just buy 10 more and and you're good you know keep the history and keep the keep what you have and and uh, learn to do as much as you can with what you've got yeah you know uh it's it's if we don't keep, if we don't keep some of these ideals and and stuff, it's all going to be lost, and eventually we're going to be a society that knows how to do nothing. And that's that's what it's exciting about 
working at the NMRA and being able to reach out to people and expose them to this kind of stuff. Because for us, we have, we, we're at an age now where we have our own history. And, and we, can, we can talk about the history of what got everybody involved, but we're reaching an age where we can also you know, talk about, I mean, the NMRA is a product of the Great Depression and coming out of that. Absolutely. Something that people can get together with. And it just, it just keeps going. And being able to reach out and and connect people with things like this. I mean, what we're seeing is there's a lot of modern young men my age that are interested in bushcraft. And they're excited about, they've grown up in the suburbs or in a city, and they're excited about going somewhere. But they, they're just alone for a day and just alone in the woods. And then they, they're getting connected with muzzleloaders as part of that. It's not easy. There's a process, you know, it can be kind of difficult. You have to know there's a reconnecting, I think, happening. And talking about, you know, not to not to razz you about it, but like saying that things are, are lost and, and going away, I think there's a huge shift right now where people are connecting back with nature. It, it sounds kind of weird. And, and, yeah. It's the cyclical nature. It's cyclical of, of, yeah. of culture and things. I mean, yeah, we have to educate these people and bring them back in. Uh, and we don't realize <laughs> we as 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 older older middle-aged people we do not understand how much of that bushcraft and stuff is out there because a lot of that society is online but yeah. you know I have talked to some other manufacturers and stuff and um, cash manufacturing Scott's making some stuff some little trekkers lanterns and stuff because he says yeah he says you know there are other industries you know, the, the tracking side of things that I can make some stuff for, but never thought of before. Because, right. you know, a lot of their thoughts and their stuff, the things they want to do is real close to what we do yeah. without the muzzleloaders. Exactly. <laughs> you know, bushcrafting or trekking or backpacking is like the long hunters did that yeah. you know, 200 years ago. That's what they did. You know, they left for weeks or months at a time with what they could carry and came back. And a lot of our primitive stuff, you know, you're getting together with two or three guys and going through the woods doing a woods walk. Yeah. You know, a lot of the 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 uh, younger people would love that, you know, if we can just get them introduced to the muzzleloader and the camping in the primitive. I mean, you know, a lot of those, I think, would love it. Um, unfortunately, it just doesn't get promoted right sometimes. Yeah. It doesn't. I mean, that's, that's a gateway to bring people in, you know. Uh, us... Those of us that are and, and those of us that are in the industry and stuff, we've been it in it our whole lives, you know. So it's hard to look at it from another from, side. Yeah. Yes, it is. And 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 like you said, that's why we say it's dead because we do not understand the other ways that we can bring it back in, and that's why we need guys like you, <laughs> young younger guys that understand the new technology and can merge it with the old technology. Uh, because that's what that's how muzzleloading itself has progressed, you know, yeah. as yeah. people seeing better ways and um, uh, in in all manufacturing and powder manufacturing. I mean, how many Absolutely. how many uh, how much safer are the plants today than they were because yeah. of technology? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's you know it's it's technology that was not made necessarily for manufacturing black powder. I mean, who does that? Oh, Particularly if there's only one plant in North America, so yeah, it's just seeing you know, hey, you know, we could, you know, put a screw here and you know, and flip that around and and use that in 
in our industry. You know, it, it, it you know, to me, it, it's, it's who, who we are, really. I mean, we, you know, we're, we're just a bunch of tinkers, yeah. and, and to, to be able to, and to help continue that, and, and, you know, just, and knowing that there, you know, there is a, that the cycle yeah. has has come back around that there's a rebirth and I can you know I can understand that you know I didn't realize it but now hearing I can understand it because there's so much stimulation from I mean literally I see children who who are in grocery stores crowded grocery stores and they're an infant you know there's so much stimulation we talked about the soccer mom and and yeah. then the parents catering to their children's schedules and 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 to them it's you know it, it, they're their kind of um, their accomplishment is well, you know, I cleaned the house this morning and and got my three children to eight different events, <laughs> which is a feat. <laughs> and, and my argument there is, if you can get your kids to eight different events, the powder patch and balls, dirt <laughs> simple. That's, that's, that's a snap. That's a snap. But you know, but I can see that that kind of backlash to that is just I want to go out and be alone. Yeah, just some solitude. <laughs> And just like you say, how simple it is, even with the kids today, they can operate iPhones and yeah. computers and stuff. This is such a simple event. There's no reason why we can't be teaching yeah. a lot more kids how to get into it. Yeah. What at one time was a complicated process to people, it really wouldn't be for them. All they have to be is taught. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and be willing to learn, too. On yeah. It's funny, whenever I work on my own car, I'm, I'm cheap and I, I drive an old car. And so whenever something, you know, something goes out, the first place I go is, how do I fix this? You know, to YouTube. And there's somebody there with a camera going through how to fix that part or what part I need. And it's the same thing with, it's with everything. You know, I don't care if it's your KitchenAid mixer. You know, yeah. It's a video on and that's something that stuff. I've just started utilizing just learned i could do because you know uh working on my v on one of my vehicles that i didn't have the old chilton's manual for yeah. so i'm going around trying to find a chilton's manual you know somebody who's got one and they said look on youtube <laughs> i said to put my starter on my car and i said yeah and you know and and yeah they they are people that are very good about explaining and teaching and as an industry, that's what we need to do. We need to document more of this, and that's why what you're doing is so great. Thank you. Um, I have, uh, um, I had some clubs, Columbus Muzzleloading Club over in Columbus, Ohio. They called me, and they buy a lot of powder off of me and stuff. And they asked me, was telling about their website, and they said, you know, what would you put on the website to make it better? I said, show people how to shoot, so show people how to load, because I get calls constantly want to know how to shoot a muzzleloader. Yeah. Well, that's a big conversation. Right. And not really, from a safety point of view, not really one you want to have over the phone. <laughs> <laughs> but if they can watch somebody load it, mm -hmm. then yeah, they yeah. can learn the See process and do it right. Yeah. And so, you know, we've got an opportunity to not only expose more people to it, but also make it safer than it yeah. once was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, because, and, and I know... Uh, when we were building a lot of muzzleloaders through the 90s, the most of the accidents in the firearms industry happens in the muzzleloader field. I it's, mean, it's so hands-on. It's yeah. so hands-on, and so it's so easy if you're not 
taught right to do that, something wrong. And that's intimidating. Yeah. Because you know that you're working with the, I mean, the black powder. I mean, you're, you're handling that. It's, it's right there. You know how dangerous that can be. And without that introduction to it, I mean, I, I think that's why modern, I'm, I can't say I've ever shot a modern powder, you know, in, in the, yeah. with a modern inline. But that sounds so much simpler than dealing with calculating your grains out and making sure, you know, your static-free workspaces, you're loading and, and tinkering with things. Because when it comes to, especially traditional muzzleloaders, everything's right there to tinker with. You know, you can get in there and adjust your trigger and adjust your hammer and, and tinker with all that stuff. And it gets real complicated. And you listen to people talking about how many grains to put in, what kind of powder to use, and what weight ball and what size. And there's a whole, it's a lot like working on cars, I think. And I think that that, that crossover there is, is really interesting now you just bring that up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so many of the people just like cars, they now take it to a mechanic. They don't do it themselves. And inlines are kind of that way. They just drop two, you know, they don't know how many grains they're shooting. They shoot two pellets. Right. You know, they do not know how much powder they do. They have no idea. They drop two pellets and shove a good to go. projectile on top of it and they're good to go. And that's all they understand. And so, yeah, it's very intimidating for them to go backwards. But uh, I think the, the calmness is something I really enjoy about muzzleloaders. I mean, we can, we can go down the line, you know, and, and on a busy day, I mean, it, it's just constant. But when you're up there, uh, from the competitor side of things, there's a certain peace to it. Because you're, you're doing this little process. Each time, there's a rhythm. Yes. And you're in your own head. And you know... You have to do, and to me, that's part of like the challenge and the intrigue is I have to do these steps and then I have to get on the line and I have to play against my own head on to make this shot come out. And, and you can, you can feel that as, you know, just watching it. Yeah. You know, you can, in that, and you're right, there is a calm. There, yeah. and, and even though you've got a live explosive going off two yeah, feet from you, is, right, yeah, you do not is, notice it. I. I watch people come in that you, and they, somebody fires on the line and they jump and I say, yep, they've never shot a muzzleloader right. because, you know, to them, all that booming is, is uh, intimidating, scary. Right. But like you say, once you get on that line, it's just a peaceful process. Yeah, because they're very deliberate and, and they're, they're, they're really, yeah, it really is calming because, you know, and I, I'm just now realizing, you know, why I keep going back up. I mean, you know, I'm interested otherwise, but yes, there's there's that other that's been drawing me back over there. And, you know, I was talking about the, the lady at the, you know, shooting trap the other day. It was just watching her. She did the same thing. She even entered, you know, mm -hmm. the, the walkway the same way. And that last piece that she would do, she would take her fingers in the same place on, her, on the back of her bottom of her T-shirt, wipe yeah. her fingers, and then she was ready to go. And, and, and I was just getting caught up. And before I knew it, I think it was after, after four, I was over there for an hour and a half just watching. And, yeah. and it is. It is that uh, just that very deliberate, soft, uh, yeah, process. It's, and, it's almost and, like a, it's almost musical, I think, in a way, and then it leads to that crescendo of the shot going off. Yes. And then you got to start all the way back over. Yeah, that's a great analogy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what it is. I like was, bolero. <laughs> I was filming one of the traditional muzzleloading shotgun matches on the trap range a couple of days ago, and I I grew up on the pistol and the bench line, so rifle and pistol side. And 
And the rifle shooters joke uh, with pistol shooters about where we put our hands. Because almost every pistol shooter on that line has a different place they lock their offhand if they're shooting with one. But I was going through and I was watching, it was a, it was a traditional um, shotgun act where it's all old percussion shotguns. And it was a 50 bird ag. And just sitting there and filming for the 15 minutes that I was there filming it, and just seeing them go back and forth and back and forth and up the line. And it was just, it was fascinating. Because you have, I mean, on the normal line, um, punching paper, it's, it's one dance, and then you go on the trap and skeet or quail or, or sporting clays, and it's another because there's this whole other element. And there's that, you, you hit this, you hit this beat where it's the pull, and then it's calm, and then it's, and then it's the, then you hit the boom, and it's just I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about <laughs> yeah. it and watching it. And, and last night was the Calcutta match, and it's a, it's a twenty, it's a twenty bird ag, and it's two birds each time, so it's all double barrels. And then that is just its own, it was its own beast, and it was, it was remarkable watching. And a couple of guys said, hey, you know. Please don't get too close. This is a really, this is a hard head game to play. And one of the instances, there was a, a, a marksman up there, and one of his hammers didn't go off, and it just didn't hit the cap right. And just that beat being dropped, it was. I mean, obviously you feel bad for the guy. He didn't do anything wrong. You know, it was, it was something mechanical that it, that didn't work out. But it was just so interesting. In, in that sea of complication, and you know, there were 50 shooters lined up going through two birds each time, and the traps are throwing the birds and things. And then in that time period, there's one drop. And it was, and everybody was, it wasn't, yeah, he's out. You know, it's a really, it's a really, uh, you needed to hit everything you can. And, but none of it was cheering that he was out. It was, you know, hey, it's okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what's, I really love about muzzleloading and, and all the disciplines we have here is it's it's competition and there, there are guys here that, and, and ladies too that are really gunning and really shooting but it's not uh, it's not cutthroat it's not cutthroat yeah. and so much of it in getting in on the competitive side it's you it's you and that target it's not the guy next to you right. and likewise if somebody has a problem with a gun rather than saying good he's having problems they're all coming over to help you know yeah. what can you you know, you need a nipple wrench. You need, you know, what do you need? And and are all willing to, to be right there to help him, to get him back up, to witness, maybe beat him. Yeah. <laughs> Who else is going to help their competition beat him? But that's the camaraderie that is yeah. around this kind of and, industry. And that's what's what's so attractive. Uh, yeah, I've witnessed that this week. You know, on, shoot, nearly every line. It, I mean, I'm very biased, but it's 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 really special, and it, it gets me real excited. Now I'm I'm bugging my father because we've got a shop at home. I'm like, okay, you know, after after doing all this, I'm like, man, I want to come back in June and I want to have I want to have a flintlock, you know, my own. You know, I want to build one. We've got the parts and everything. Let's do it. Let's get like, just to have, take that next step in the process and become more connected to it. And I, I can stand out there by the road and watch people walk from one flea market to the other. And I think, boy, if they just only could know what happens in here and what this sport is about, the camaraderie and excitement, they wouldn't just walk by. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. 
And if we can find a way to convey that to these people, our sport would grow by leaps and bounds if they just only understood. We talked about it some yesterday that the, the political climate isn't necessarily in favor of what we're doing here. Not at all. But you talk about the history and the skill. I, mean, I, I joked with friends in school that, you know, shooting an X is a lot like, like a half-court shot, you know, if, you're, if it's basketball. I mean, it's the same, it's the same kind of skill. I mean, it, you have a team in, 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 in sports ball, whatever sport it is, you know, but when it comes down to it, a lot of it is you and that piece, and yeah. whether it's a ball or if it's a pistol or if it's a rifle. It's that skill and that discipline and then in muzzle you get into the historical side of things. That really makes that special. And as older people, we tend to think that uh, this sport is lost. But uh, there is so much to offer the younger people. The fellow that works for me, he was telling me about some pistol shooter, and she's just excellent pistol shooter. Said she came from the gaming end of it. Yeah. She was doing it on the gaming end of it. And somebody said, well, why don't you try shooting a real pistol and she she just she's one of the best there is now because the methodical part of it and everything excited her the control she could have over that you know uh, not that she couldn't on the video game but you've got so much it's the real deal it's yeah. tactile yeah and and they're just and so you know we don't think about how we can reach out to those we think about the numbers that are dying every month out of our club. Right. You know. Um, and that's sad. Don't get me wrong. But it's, you got to look forward and, and respect. And that's what I think is, is so important is to, to capture as much as you can. Yeah. Absolutely. So that it can be passed down. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and I think. We have something to pass. Exactly. And you, going over to at the NMRA here, we have Gunmakers Hall, which is a small log cabin we've built where different gun builders come in for the week and build, you know, kind of their portfolio piece of the last year, the last few months. And going in and talking to those guys, I mean, they're looking at the other end of things. You know, they're 70, 80, you know, upper 80s into their 90s. And and they want to share. And they want to talk to people about this stuff because it's something they love. And this is a industry that, you know, on our a thing that is dying and that information and that know-how if we is going to go with them if we don't get more young people involved and and it's very interesting technology and very um i mean a lot of our modern technology today come from the firearms industry and there's just so much of it that's going to be lost if we can't get more young people involved and that's history that once it's gone it's gone (laughs) Uh, you know, they were. I was watching some sh- uh, show on on uh, blacksmithing. Mm-hmm. That there was some uh, swords and stuff. That the technology of how how to make some of this Damascus, they're trying to go back and figure it out because because they, you know, oh, they still haven't been able to repeat what these guys were doing two thousand years ago yeah. in China. Yeah, and it isn't didn't get passed down, so that information got lost. Yeah. And uh, for stuff that seems so easy to the people here, to the people from the outside world, it's very complicated. And they're not going to learn it 
and eventually when they decide that they want to learn it, there's going to be nobody to teach yeah, it's them. It's going to so, be so much. It's going to be uh, the barrier to entry is going to be even higher. Yeah. We're even we're at that point at the at the plant. You know, we're trying to prepare the next generation, and uh, you know, and, and make sure that we you know have the people who want to learn, who want to to continue to make black and and um, you know we we went through we went through some personnel <laughs> and some searching, and I think we have a good core now. But yeah, we're at a mad dash right now to make sure that you know it, you look at it oh it's just a you know intimate mixture of of three ingredients and there's a whole lot more to it than that it, you know when you when you look at the processes it's there's a whole lot more and and their inexperience is uh, is important very important I, and I, I think we're Fortunately, I think we're at a very good point that we we have the, the future that we can we can teach and yeah. and keep it going. Just as a side note, do you refer to it as black? Is it like an industry term? I do. That, that sounds so cool. <laughs> well, I have a bad the, habit of, of no, no, that's like, okay. I like thought it was fascinating. OE, um, yeah. The the bad thing is. In today's politically correct climate, that could be deemed bad. You know what I mean? Right. And, uh, and I think I talked with Anita some yesterday about what, what I'm working hard for here at the NMLRA is to define what we do love about this so that it can't be defined for us. Yeah. And because you can't, you can't look at some of the old guys on the line and and say that they're evil people, you know, you, you just, yeah. they're somebody's <laughs> grandfather that just wants to go shoot a target, you know, like, yeah. it's not threatening, I mean, yeah. it's, and I don't, I don't necessarily want to get too much into that, but it just kind of, it's bothersome. It is. Yeah, it that, is. That they can. There's a stigma. Yeah, yeah some, some politician in Washington can say that sitting around a campfire with these old guys talking about this stuff that we're all evil. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's yeah. unbelievable that. But you know, you kind of said it neat. If you don't define yourself, somebody else is going to define us. Mm -hmm. They're going to define us as a group of evil people, instead of the keepers of an art form and the history behind it. You know, uh, because I look at this as an art form. You yeah. know, we, I was talking around a campfire coincidentally about how the. American long rifle, the Pennsylvania long rifle, the Kentucky long rifle could arguably be the first, you know, United States of American art form. Because we came in from Europe and the firearms there were so much different to what we were doing here. You know, you get into the longer barrel and the petite stocks and it's fascinating what changes culturally in just the short time from hitting land here and then accelerating into civilization that we have now. And I don't think it's a part of our history that you should want to ignore. I mean, yes, there are horrible parts of, of all kinds of history, but there are things there that are just art forms. You know, I, coming from the art side of the world, I mean, an illustration, you can't argue that looking at some of those rifles in Gunmakers Hall, they aren't art. It's just beautiful. The lines and the and just, just walking around Gunmakers Hall, you can 
just the lines and the form and the it's exciting. Yeah. And uh, that yeah. can't be an evil thing. Right. <laughs> and, and even you know you can look at a flintlock rifle, but also the horn to go with it. I mean, so much of those horns, especially the original ones, told that person's story and their history or, or the history of a town or an area. And then you get into their bags and what their bags went through yeah. and their patch knives and wrenches and things. And, and that's just, what we don't realize. Most of those people could not write. Yeah. They couldn't. They didn't have a cell phone to take recordings of themselves on it. That was their history. That's how they passed on their part of themselves yeah. to the next generation. And, and like you said, that can't be a bad thing. No, no, it's, I mean, we, we post on social media as a personal way to document our own lives. And that's what these people did. They had these journals and these horns and these rifles where they talked about their lives. I mean, it, it wasn't necessarily for, you know, they weren't looking for sponsorships or, you know, having a bunch of people know who they were. But it was, it's the same thing we do now. It's just recording some of that just something with with humanity feels good and feels like you should do it yeah, self-preservation yeah. aspect about it yeah. and that ties right into what the birth of these of this hobby and the skills behind it it's all it's all connected that, that self-preservation is just it's right there it's in the blood I got really heavy again there but I got really excited <laughs> no, and I just I think that speaks to what our, the topic of, yeah. of our discussion. I and I'm know. so tic, tic, tickled to see that because there are so many younger people that don't get excited about this. They, you know, and I think if they ever would get into it, they would. And so many you that know. we don't know about who yeah. are excited. Who, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and once again, as an industry, we've got to promote it better. We've got to, to uh, uh, if they only knew how exciting it was, we would have 10,000 people lined up at the gate every day to right. come in. Yeah. Uh, how can you not get excited to be here? <laughs> yeah, and be, and be connected to that history. You know, you, there's, I mean, at this, at these events and like events like the CLA or the Honorable Company of Horners mm -hmm. and, or, or the Ohio Gun Collectors is a, mm -hmm. is a huge one for preserving the story connected to these different rifles and, and the accoutrements connected to them. And, when I pick up something, if it's a powder horn or a patch knife or a lock or whatever, and, and they tell me this, you know, this is, this was made in the 1770s. Like, this piece here was before we decided to declare independence. Yeah. And you, you think back and knowing what those people went through, and that you're you're holding that thing, and it's still intact, it's still usable. And this week at the, in the Rand House, they had the um, Polecat Porter exhibit, and he was a an icon to the early NMLRA days and that starting. But he had an original Beck rifle. That was, I, I, don't, I can't recall off the top of my head what, they, what the, the age was, but it was over 200 years. And the guy who, Polecat Porter still shot it, and the guy who has it now still takes it out and shoots it. And that connection is just, it's invigorating. You know, there are some guys who will buy them and they go in a museum and you never, you really don't get experience the history. Yeah. And like you say down here, they're still shooting those guns. They're shooting those guns that were made over 200 years ago. And the connection to history is still 
there and oh, alive. Our original Schutzen matches. I mean, there are a lot of modern Schutzens being made, but you look at the, the German Schutzen rifles or the Jaegers, and then on the same line, you guys have, you have guys shooting Kentucky long rifles and then the space guns, you know, just, and it's, it's just exciting. It's, it's so neat that, like I said, I think I said earlier that a, a two or 300 year old ignition technology can still evolve now and it's all connected back to the original point. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to see a younger person that's, uh, that's this excited about it. And that gives me hope. Uh, you know, we tend and to write off younger people and say, well, they're just not interested yeah, in this our stuff. Our generation was written off too. You know, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I find myself being like my parents, you know, uh, darn kids. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, and, and, and you, like I said earlier, I get to saying stuff like, well, it's dead, it's dying. Well, it's not. They're just not exposed to it. It's, and it's different. And yeah. And seeing you, you can see that you're excited about it. And, it gives you hope that we can get other young, young people excited about it. And you were lucky enough to grow up in, in to me this. It's second nature. I, mean, I went to school, you know, saying, oh, I'm going down to friendship. Yeah. And, I'm, and there's a, a picture of me in my family photo album sitting on um, a case of soda when they came in cubes, shooting a bench gun at age five. You know, so to me, it's it's in my blood, and, and but I've spent my whole life trying to explain it to my peers and, and what it's like, and what I see, what they're doing, and how it connects to the things that I've grown up with and I've known, and it's, and that's part of why I like coming down here and now in an official capacity, being able to work with the people that have supported this organization, be it kind of auxiliary, you know, just by making what we need or by being here physically and supplying the parts and the, and the things that we need is you can, we can start to work to change the vernacular together and, and work towards, you know, even just as simple as, you know, rather me rather rudely correcting you saying it's not dying, it's just changing. Yeah. You know, it's because not. Because to us, it looks like it is it because is correct. we yeah. cannot connect with you. Right. And yeah. it's no longer, even on, just the, the living history side of things, you go to a reenactment and it's no longer, you know, buckskins and fringe. You know, we, we've found and documented how the clothing changed from our perceptions of it in the 50s and 60s and 70s to yeah. what it is now. And it's, it's not to say that they were wrong at that time period, but it's that connection to it and it's, it's evolving more and more. And I mean, a lot of people my age don't want to shoot targets all day. They want to shoot silhouettes and things that react, and like even shooting soda cans, you know. And it, you know, it's it's just evolving. It's that cyclical nature we keep talking about. And that's what I tell when when I get new people interested. I try to get them to come to primitive, because shooting a woods walk, watching a plate swing, or listening to the ding as you hit something, to to a lot of people who have never shot is a lot more exciting than just trying to hit a piece of paper. Right. <laughs> well, there's certainly, a, you know, the, a, a reciprocity here, too, because you, you know, we're talking about making sure that what knowledge the older folks here have, that it does not go with them. By conveying that to you, you know how to then take it and run with it and, and, and take it to your generation and teach us how to, to reach your generation. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it, it, it certainly is a, 
a very productive exchange. Thank you and very one, much. And one that, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm impressed. I really am. Thank you. We're really excited about it. And there's so much of the knowledge down here and stuff that we say are going to be, and, you know, I said, are, are, is going to be lost when this guy dies. Well, we've got the means. Yeah. I mean, the, the technology has got so good that you can preserve this history yeah, and take like it into the next year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they were joking on the Woods Walk this morning that I had a chinchilla in my pocket. You know, but it's this little recorder that... And, and for us, it's easy to forget that we're being recorded here. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I said, well, he's explaining more than he needs to. I understand what he's talking about. But I understand you're doing it for the, for the thing because, mm -hmm. you know, we are being recorded here. And yeah. we don't, as an older generation, we, we don't understand that it is that easy. All we have to do is preserve it. Yeah. I mean... Uh, uh, Let's get tapes of this and movies of this, and a lot of this on the line and stuff. We need to. We technology is so easy. We need to get as many pictures and as many uh, stuff documented. Yeah. And, and as as a lot of us do not even think of that. We talk and we really ought to be recording every conversation we have with some of these. You know, uh, because you never know. I, yeah. Like, Willie Boyknot, he's 93. I mean, he's seen stuff in this industry we will never see again. You know, yeah. uh, you got the Alan Coons on the shotguns. I mean, there is such wealth of knowledge, and these guys are more than willing to pass it on. They, you know, anytime you're sitting around the fire and you just, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm sure you're like me. You sit there in awe of these guys talking about stuff and talking about things that went on here in the 50s. Yeah. You know, uh, it's, it's really exciting. How to read the wind? Yeah, but this morning. <laughs> I mean, you can you can use every modern technology is out there, but a lot of the stuff they know, they don't think about it in the way that that we're able to think about it. I mean, they they live through the depression and then you know landing on the moon in World War II and up into the eighties and nineties, and things now accelerate so fast and. It's, they're not changing their mindsets, and they shouldn't have to. You know, I'm not. I'm not asking them. You know, if somebody, if an old timer asks, you know, because he's not really interested. You know, I totally understand. My my grandfather, I tried to talk to him quite a bit. He uh, won the first junior match in 1938 here, and when I try to sit down and talk to him about it, he doesn't see the value in it. He, you know, I think he we, was just shooting a match. Yeah, it was just <laughs> his life. You know, and I'm sitting there just like just in awe of the things that he's done and, and I want to preserve all of it so I can, I can share it with people. But he's just real humble about it, you know? And, and even that I, I want to preserve because I, modern media and things, like everybody is just so, there's a self-absorbed aspect to it and, and talking to a lot of these guys, it's just, it's just what I wanted to do. You know, I just like doing it, you know? And, and looking back on it, you, you, you were pivotal to some of this stuff happening and, and bringing it to all the, I mean, how many people did these people impact over the 70 years that they were active in doing this stuff? And yeah, some of the older gentlemen down here do not realize, I mean, they're an icon. They're, yeah. they're a hero to a whole generation of people. Wallace Gustler comes yeah. down here. And in, in the 70s, as a teenager, he, are you familiar with Wallace Gustler? Yeah. He was not here this shoot, he was, Oh, he wasn't here this shoot. Yeah. Uh, Wallace Gustler, in the 70s, it was Colonial Williamsburg produced a short documentary on making a flintlock rifle from start to finish. 
making the barrel, forging it from hand? And forging all the parts and pieces and harvesting the wood and going through that whole process. And people all over watch that and watch the other things that he saw, had the foresight or somebody he worked with had the foresight to document. And he is an icon. And you can just walk by him and he's just... Nonplussed. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, actually, I actually, just last week I had a, a friend that I shoot with down at our own little little club uh, that said, uh, you got to check this guy out. You know, I found this old video clip of this guy making a barrel from scratch. And he was so excited about it. And I said, who was it? And he couldn't remember. And after a while, he says, it was Wallace Gussler. And uh, he was so excited about this. And I said, uh, and he, he said, I'm sending you the clip. And I said, uh, I'm familiar with that clip. If you would like to talk to that gentleman, come down to Friendship and <laughs> yeah. I'll introduce you. And he was just flabbergasted yeah. <laughs> that there was still people. But he was so excited about the process that Wallace took making that barrel and how much time. And, you know, and I said, and these people, some of these people are still here. Yeah. You know, they're just underutilized. They're just uh, too many people. And I, I'm just as bad. You know, I mean, um, I'm almost intimidated by Wallace. I'll sit in my booth right. over there and I think, I don't want to go bother him, but I can. I just can see the history there. And, and I'll go over and talk to Wallace a little bit. But, you know, he's another one of them guys. We just need to get him on camera opening up talking to people because he does not see the value in what he really done i mean he sees the value in the guns he makes but a lot of the value is just the life he has lived yeah. is so exciting and what he's done for the industry and for everything and there's a lot of those people down here that i hope you can document a lot <laughs> of those guys i really appreciate you guys coming and taking your time out of your day and not a problem and talking to me. I, well, thank you. You know, uh, like me and Nita was talking earlier, it's really kind of out of our comfort zone. Right. But, but if yeah, there's value the added, then... Yeah, we see the importance of doing what you're doing. And um, I, hope, I hope you continue. Uh, a lot of the older guys have already left, but yeah. I hope some of those guys you can sit down with and... You know, and some of those, like you were talking about your grandfather, it's hard to get them because they don't see the value in it. They don't uh, understand this, but uh, Willie Boynton, I mean, he's always, uh, he sees me and we get talking about something and, you know, he's always giving me little bits of information that he just doesn't understand that he's even giving away. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. to him, it's just, you know, it's just, okay, this is the way breakfast. you do it. And, yeah. you know, I mean... Uh, let me write this down. Let me, yeah. I mean, I have picked up so many little tricks and some of them I later think, I must be an idiot. Yeah. Why didn't I think of doing it that way? And, you know, and now I've got every modern convenience at my fingertips, at my fingertips and they didn't have that, you know. It's, yeah. uh, it's really exciting. Uh, yeah, I think about just, you know, just the distributors we've lost that, that I just enjoyed talking to them because of how long they had been in the business and and in various aspects of it too you know I mean Cooney um, the gentleman over in Westfield Mass um, Dale McGee like Dale we talked McGee, about we were just talking about him this morning you know, uh, and he's just a fat he was just a fascinating guy he was in the powder business and uh, um, very very good at everything, but uh, 
as he got older, he decided to build himself a castle. And he built, he laid yes, every he block on that. Yes. He laid yes, every he block on that castle. <laughs> yes, he did. Just because. Just because. Yeah. Right. So I said, you know, you said you were cheap. That you work on your own, your own car. No, you're capable. Right. <laughs> so you work on your own. Car. And that's what bothers me the most about a lot of stuff. It just seems like the next generation isn't learning, but maybe they are. Yeah. They're just not learning in the way yeah. we did. Yeah. You know, uh, like you said, you uh, looked it up on YouTube. And there's probably a lot of stuff that these younger people are looking up on YouTube that uh, we would have found our grandpa or, yeah. or the neighbor down the road, the farmer down the road I used to work for who taught me how to work on tractors. You know, uh, where now you're learning it from YouTube. Yeah. And uh, so I think that's where the responsibility kind of comes back to us. To make sure that the information out there is is safe and correct, mm -hmm. I mean, because there is an element of danger to all of this, and we are fortunate enough with every with all three of us, everything that we do, to have generations of experience and knowledge behind it, and I, I feel that putting it out there is the right thing to do to make not in a self-serving way, but to make sure that people know and understand, so they can get a ninety or hundred, two hundred year head start on things and not make the same mistakes, mistakes over you. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you forget history, you're doomed to repeat it, yeah. you know, I mean, <laughs> we've got to pass this on so we can go even further, not have to relearn what we've already learned. Yeah, there's no sense in reinventing the wheel. Uh, but there's, and there's the, the bad side of the internet that I've seen is there's so much misinformation out there. Yeah. Anybody can get on and make a YouTube video. And sometimes if they don't have the proper information, there's stuff getting out there that's not necessarily so. I mean, I had a, a guy call me just mortified, upset, because uh, one of the boxes of balls he got off of me, there was one that was a little oxidized in there, so it had a you know white oxidization on yeah. it. Well, he had seen on YouTube that somebody told him if he used that ball, the gun would blow up. And he, he was just afraid. He, I was trying to kill him. <laughs> and it took me a long conversation to explain to this guy right. that there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and, he, yeah, and you even find that misinformation in the forums, too. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's you know, been times I've, I've thought, well, I have a question, so I'll go in and, and I can find, depending on how many different forums I go on or how far down the list I go, I can find at least 10 different very different answers yeah. to that single question. So Cut yeah. this wire, don't cut that yeah. wire. Cut this wire, cut that mm -hmm. wire. I had a guy that was calling me on a weekly basis. He'd call me and he'd ask me questions. You know, I mean, you've got somebody call, you're going to ask you about buying a gun, you know, you, and, and you know, does this muzzleloader tell me about this and that? And so you try to inform them because, yeah. you know, you ultimately you're hoping to sell them a gun. Right. And uh, this guy would call me every week. For months he'd done this. And he'd ask me all these questions. And I mean, he had all these documented questions he was asking me. And after a while, I finally said, well, you know, what are you shooting now? And he told me that he didn't shoot at all. He'd never shot a muzzleloader. What he was doing was asking me questions to, so he could talk on a forum as he knew it. Well, at the moment, I got mad. 
And I said, you know, don't, I'm too busy. Don't call me again. But really, I should have been flattered, and I should have been happy that at least he was getting the right information out there, to, out there instead of, but, you know, I mean, as a manufacturer, we get so busy, we don't think about that. You right. don't think about trying to pass on the right information. You think about, hey, if I don't get that done today, I can't ship it. I'm yeah. not going to get paid. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, we've, we've lost some stuff just because money didn't dictate it. You know, right. I mean, if, if we, uh, we didn't have the time to pass on the proper knowledge, you know. Right. And, and now I actually kind of feel bad about running that guy <laughs> off. But, you know, I mean, I didn't, I was, you know, I was missing sales. I was doing this. And, yeah. But you don't think about how much of this information doesn't get pushed out there properly. And so that's why it's so important what you're doing here. It really is. And I hope that, uh, and, and there are so many, and I hope you, I, <laughs> down here you never know how things are going to go, but I hope they continue to have you do this. And I hope the shoot, shoots in the future, um, like I say, there are so many old guys out there, Chuck Oder and, and uh, Willie Boytnot and Alan Coons, that uh, uh, you need to get as much information as possible. And even the next generation that came behind them who learned from them and took it and, and yeah. to, mm -hmm. you know, to another level. It's not so much, I mean, uh, it's kind of a reconciliation that what's, what's gone is gone, but if we start now... Yeah. Yeah. That's not losing yeah. 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 Some of those guys we're never going to be able to go back and talk to, but right. let's not let it happen again. Let's make mm -hmm. this the, the point at which we can go back to and say, okay, we got it. Thank you both so much. This has been a wonderful <laughs> afternoon. Well, I, I really appreciate I'm, it. I'm, I'm not much of a talker. And, well, I, or, <laughs> or makes, I, I talk too much and don't make a whole lot of sense sometimes. No, so you're humble. Uh, I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm really excited about, I mean, this is really one of the first goes I've had at sitting down and doing this yeah, in a formal well, manner. I, 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 I think this is a very good thing. I mean, I think you ought to do it a lot more with a lot of those people, you know, a lot of these older people uh, that have seen, seen this and been through it. And um, there's just so much wealth of knowledge. And I guess I talk so much now because I've sat and listened to them talk. I yeah. mean, I've gained all these stories and all this was, information. Was and, say, and great stories. And, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, you... you <laughs> and now, now you're part of it. I got you to be part of it. <laughs> I get these guys, these older guys that come into the shop and they'll say, well, I better get out here and get let you get to work. And I said, I'm not worried about that work. It'll be yeah. there tomorrow. This stuff, yeah. I want to hear it, you know. <laughs> And unfortunately, I don't remember enough of it and pass it on. I keep telling myself I'm going to start carrying a recorder in my pocket, which I realize now. I mean, you know, yeah. I got that. Yeah. I, but we just don't even think that way. That, right. you know, uh, when I sit down with them and talk, I think this conversation needs to be documented yeah. because uh, there is so much of that history that's here that's just yeah. needs to be preserved. I had one on the porch of, of the Rand on uh, Monday. Should have recorded it. Yep. Should have, would have. And, and they're so willing to pass on their knowledge. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's a shame not to utilize it. Right. Well, before we sign off, um, where can people find your companies and what you guys do? I mean, just kind of plug yourselves a little bit. Um, 
Um, how people can support you and, and find out more about what you do. They can find, find us online at deercreekproducts.net or they can call the office at uh, 765-525-6181. Um, the people in the office will be more than glad to help them. If there's something they want to talk about, uh, feel free to ask for Jim Christie. Um, I'm willing at any time to sit down and talk to anybody about getting into this and, and what we can do to help and, um, because we need to pass this on. Uh, and, and we've got to start now trying to promote it worse than ever or we're going to lose it. And um, GoX website, www.goxpowder.com. Um, we can be accessed through there or through Hodgdon too as well. The Hodgdon Powder Company does own us through their website. And um, I can be reached um, at 318-382-9300 if anyone is, is interested in uh, whatever I am allowed to pass on, <laughs> um, I certainly will. I, you know, and I apologize for that. I, I you know, I no, do have to be a little bit, right, a little bit guarded. No, but I, I think you should do this with a lot of the vendors out there. There's a lot of Tom from the log cabin has yeah. just lots of information. Of course, Wallace, if he was here, yeah. he's a phenomenal person to sit down and talk to. Um, Chuck Oder, who's already left. Uh, Dick Chubbs. Oh, oh I have. <laughs> he's a wealth of information. I've been picking up lollipops from him for oh, twenty he, years. Yeah, he's just a wealth of information. I just sat down there every night and drink milk and eat cookies with him yep. because, you know, he just he knows so much and he's seen so much of this industry. Yeah, and he's very articulated and very good about passing it on because he was a school teacher. So he he knows how to convey information to uh, that it makes sense and sinks into you. You know. And there's just, but row after row, there's just vendor after vendor uh, that have just unlimited knowledge. You know, even some of the younger ones, like Angie Jacoby, you know, I mean, she'll, she talks stories about her dad and stuff who's been in this business. Her dad was a silversmith at Dollywood at one point. Okay. I mean, you know, and come down to friendship, you know. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> If you like this episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe to the Muzzle Blast podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media. You can find us under at Muzzle Blasts. Muzzle Blast is made possible by the membership of the NMLRA. Thank you. Find out more at NMLRA.org.